ladies and gentlemen, his opponent. He's from Hollywood, California. He weighs 253 pounds. And he is the United States heavyweight champion, stunning Steve Austin. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to a very muzzy wrestling podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Sammy. We're married, and we're going to talk about professional wrestling. This is our fourth episode, and this week you can say what is old is new again, and what is new is old again. How's that for a tagline? That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Thank you. So this week we uh, did not have a topic until yesterday at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, because I know last week we said we were going to go over Elimination Chamber and uh, review NXT TakeOver this week. And then instead of watching any real wrestling, we watched Twin Peaks all week. We uh, finished Season 2, and then we watched Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. And that's a topic for a different time, but how have you been feeling about that? What, Twin Peaks and not watching wrestling? or Yeah. Twin Peaks is nuts. I highly recommend it, though. Yeah, um, we can talk about that at great length, but this is a wrestling podcast. Check out Twin Peaks on your own accord. Um, I did watch NXT TakeOver, and Sam said she was going to watch NXT TakeOver, and instead she watched the first match and then fucked off to put laundry away and then took a shower and finally came out during the last match. I watched. I saw most of the last two matches. I, I left in like the middle of the second match. So I saw the first match. I watched half of Gargano versus Kushida. And then I came back at, like, the last five, ten minutes, like, of Shirai and Storm and Martinez. Well, you know, we we only have a wrestling podcast with the one wrestling show we're going to watch all week. And we can't even watch it to properly review with your husband. You're being shamed. Whatever. I don't care. That's nah, fine. Um, so I'm going to do a quick fire rapid NXT TakeOver review. It was an awesome show. Uh, one of the best of the year. So I'm going to do that. We are going to very quickly go through our Elimination Chamber predictions because, quite honestly, it's happening tomorrow night, Sunday night. Um, assumedly that I'm going to get this out in the morning tomorrow, so it happens before the show. I might get it out on Monday, and the show will already be over, and it won't matter anymore. We haven't watched any Raw or SmackDown, really, anything since the Royal Rumble, so we're not super up-to-date on the storylines. So I'm just going to go through the card, quick-fire predictions. We're not going to spend too much time on it. But the bulk of today, our project that I came up with at around 5.30 p.m. last night, while on the WWE Network, just randomly watched a Triple H match, keeping with the theme from last week, of when he was in WCW, known as John Paul Levesque from the Starcade 94. And I was like, huh, this could be some kind of idea. So I had the idea to watch wrestlers who made it big in the WWF or WWE and watch them before they made it big. After brainstorming a little bit, we decided to go with three current wrestlers, on the current uh, WWE roster, as well as three classic wrestlers, all of which we like. Yes. So we are going to get to that. We watched six matches. We're going to review them. We will reveal who they are later. But for now, let's just, um, I'll do my rapid fire NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day review. Uh, our first match in the Women's Dusty Rhodes Classic Finals, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez beat Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Did you see anything? Did you see that at all? Yeah, I watched that because I like Ember Moon, so I was interested in that. Yeah, um, solid opener. You know, you got to get the you got to get things off on the right foot. Very nice opener. Kind of a little sloppy in the middle. There was some pretty obvious spot calling, but I mean that's that is what it is. It's it's 2021. We out here calling spots. You know what I mean? 
But um, we're calling spots, and I'm not talking about your dog. <laughs> Just kidding. Our dog's name is Loki. <laughs> so uh, Dakota Kai and Ember Gonzalez win. Solid opener. I gave it a three and a quarter stars on the on the teeth melter scale. <laughs> uh, match two: Johnny Gargano defending the NXT North American Championship against Kushida. Very good. Very very good. Took a minute to get going, but it turned into a all hands on deck rapid fire kind of affair. Did you catch any of that? I think I laughed because it was going so slow, and that's when I'm like, oh, it's time for me to put my laundry away. Well, much like you with your laundry, it picked up. Like how you would pick up your laundry. Gotcha. It picked up, and uh, it went it went hard. Johnny Gargano gets a big win, retaining that championship. Uh, before the match, Austin Theory got kidnapped by Dexter Loomis. Hmm. So that's cool. Uh, third match, the men's uh, Dusty Rhodes Classic. MSK beat the Grizzled Young Veterans. And MSK are the shit. I saw like them come out because I remember saying that the dude from I can never remember his name Zach Gibson from Grizzled Young. Yeah, the bald one. Yeah, because I remember coming out and saying how he's one of the best guys on the mic that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, uh, so I love both these teams. MSK, formerly known as the Rascals, they wrestled on the Independents. They were in Impact for a while. I knew them from PWG work. They were actually the reigning and defending PWG tag team champions before COVID went down. So who knows what they're going to do with those belts? Grizzled Young Veterans, I've been watching for a few years, going back to their work in progress. Zach Gibson is a is a heat magnet. Zach Gibson won the second UK tournament. Yes, he didn't win the title. I think he won a chance to face Pete Dunne or whoever it would have been. Probably Pete. It, yeah, it was Pete. There's only been three UK champions. Tyler Bate, who Pete Dunne won it from like immediately. Yeah. Uh, Pete Dunne and now Walter. Yeah, but uh, suffice to say, both uh, both great teams lot of young stars real real big potential there i don't know what i'm trying to say msk wins which is crazy because they just debuted this is like their debut angle they already won the dusty cup well deserved match fucking slapped a lot of a lot of hooping and hiving and flipping and diving and if you're into that kind of thing i say go watch it on that network i gave it uh i gave gargano and kushida four and a half melter stars and i'm gonna give this four and a half melter stars uh, there was a Cameron Grimes music video, which I've still neglected to show you. Yeah, you keep telling me about it. I still haven't seen it. Didn't you say he has like a new angle? So his thing is that he invested in GameStop stock and yeah, got rich. Yeah. So yeah. now he's just throwing money around and his phrase, to the moon, is even better. Cameron Grimes is fucking the most entertaining wrestler on TV. Raw, SmackDown, AEW, NXT. He's the absolute best. Watch that shit. Next, Io Shirai retaining that NXT Women's Championship against Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez. I don't know why I said it like that. It was all right. It was kind of short. It was decent. Um, Io Shirai retained. It went, like I said, pretty short, shorter than I expected it to. All three looked fine. I gave it the uh, three and a quarter snowflakes on the Dave Meltzer scale. She just shakes her head at me. And then in our main event, Barn Burner. Instant classic. I thought this match smacked harder than Grandpa Rick after a fifth of Crown Royal on the 4th of July. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it smacked pretty hard. My grandfather's names were not Rick. Um, This is a hypothetical grandfather. If your grandfather's name is Rick and he beats you after drinking Crown Royal, I'm sorry. Go to therapy. Yeah, go see someone, man. Um, Finn Balor retaining that NXT championship after a technical, hard-hitting whore. Uh, I gave it four and three quarters on the Meltzer scale. 
then afterwards, uh, Finn Balor seemed to be making pals with the Undisputed Era, and the Undisputed Era came out. And uh, Kyle O'Reilly is like, hey, Finn Balor, you want, you want to be our friend now? And Finn Balor said, yeah, I guess so. And then Adam Cole kicks Kyle O'Reilly in the fucking jaw, and he turns on him. Well, he kicks Finn Balor first. All right, yeah, context. He kicks Finn Balor first, and Kyle's like, hey, buddy, why'd you do that? Yeah, he was like, hey, we're cool with him. Let's all be friends. And Adam Cole's like, no, we're not cool with this son of a bitch. And Adam Cole turns on Kyle O'Reilly. Roderick Strong is now going to play the kid who's going to get two Christmases, assumedly. Again, apologies if that's you. I'm not trying to be too personal this week. It just happens to be that way sometimes. It do be like that. So overall, I gave uh, TakeOver a solid uh, 9.5 out of 10. You, you can't do much better. Probably not the best TakeOver of all time, but that's still high praise because there have been so many good ones, but definitely the best one of the pandemic era and definitely the best one I recall seeing in the last few years. Your ultimate thoughts on what you saw. Yeah, no, it was good. My thing is, like, takeovers for the longest time. Like, I looked forward to them so much. And I can't remember when they started going downhill. I want to say after Mania in 2019. Maybe, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, I think the peak of them was going into, like, 2018. And they kind of, they were still good, but they weren't, like, knock them on your ass good like we're used to. I feel like they started going downhill the third time we saw gargano and champa yeah it was kind of overkill and uh and they're still around they're still kicking nxt but uh no just definite good rebound show my favorite show that i've seen in a long time in general go go check it out go watch it all right so going from last weekend to this weekend today is currently saturday february 20th Tomorrow night is the WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view event, only available on the WWE Network for $9.99. We're going to watch it. We watch all the pay-per-views. Like I said, I don't really know what's going on. I haven't been watching a ton, so pardon my ignorance if I don't understand why anything's happening or if I don't have a whole lot to add. We're just going to rapid-fire through our predictions. Match 1, Nia Jax. My hole! Shayna Baszler. Uh, defending the women's champion, uh, sorry, the women's tag team championships against Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. I don't really know the storyline, so sorry if anyone does, but I can only assume that it's like Sasha and Bianca are like having like a friendly rivalry because they might be facing at the WrestleMania, and that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are like, oh, we're big and tough, and so they're like, we can beat you for the championship. Yeah, I saw. I can't remember if I saw it like on an actual episode or if I saw a video of it. But I think, like, what was going on was, like, basically Sasha was, like, to Bianca, like, you have to pick me. And then for some reason, Nia and Shayna came out and they were like, well, we're going to defend our championships everywhere. Like, what the f- I, I did I did understand the point of it. That sounds about right. Um, so, regardless, though, who are you picking? Nia and Shayna. Yep, same here. I can just, I don't think they would give the titles to Sasha and Bianca if they're going to be feuding at Mania. But then again, uh, they've done that before. But we'll both go Nia Shayna. Moving on, triple threat match. WWE United States Championship on the line. The champion, Robert Lashley, defending against Keith Lee and the artist formerly known as Matt Riddle. Should be a banger. I like all three of these boys. I know Riddle and Lashley have been feuding for what seems like since the Mesozoic era. And I feel like Keith Lee hasn't been on lately, but I, he must be involved because he's in this match. So, uh, prediction. I want Keith Lee to win. I don't, 
I, well, I want him to get a bigger belt, but I don't see that happening anytime soon, so I'd, I'll settle for the U.S. title. Do you bask in his glory? Bask in his glory. Oh. Bask in his glory. Oh. That's enough. So who you got? I don't know. Probably Lashley because Vince or whoever's booking seems to love him. Bobby Lashley, that's it. I'll be a son of a bitch. That's my pick too, King. Uh, Bobby Lashley, we're two. We're just gonna every match for the rest of time going back to the Royal Rumble. We are gonna have the same predictions. So, the next match: Elimination Chamber, WWE Championship on the line. Drew McIntyre defending that bad boy against AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Randall Orton, his uh, former friend who just turned on him, Shamo, Sheamus, and. Kofi Kingston, who took the place of The Miz, because The Miz said he has the Money in the Bank contract, so what's the point of being in Elimination Chamber? So then Kofi beat John Morrison for the last spot. So those are your six men. Uh, Sammy, who is uh, who is going to withstand the punishment? Who is going to outlast five other men and walk out of the Elimination Chamber with the, with the biggest prize in the industry today? I don't see them taking the belt off McIntyre, but if it's going to be anyone else, it's either going to be Sheamus or Orton, I feel like. Because they're either going to build to Sheamus versus McIntyre or something you said earlier. So my thought was Sheamus versus McIntyre because that's what they've been building toward, and that's fine, you know. I mean, that's a fine WrestleMania match. I don't mind Sheamus. I like him. Uh, I like to watch two big men beating each other down, you know. Two meaty men slapping meat. Big chest. And, uh... But then, so Randy Orton's still in the feud with uh, The Fiend. Alexa Bliss was on Raw and all satanic. She had like a pentagram around her and said The Fiend is going to be reborn. And I've been through this once before, four years ago. I lived through the hell that was the Randy Orton and uh, Bray Wyatt WrestleMania match. So I can see it happening again where Orton wins the WWE Championship. They say, hey, Drew, thanks for your hard work the last year, boss. Go be in the mid card because we got to put Orton in the fiend for the title. I hope not, but I can see it. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have like a strong prediction. Like ninety percent McIntyre is going to retain, but if not, it's definitely Orton or Sheamus. The other three aren't winning. <laughs> nah, sorry, sorry, Kofi Mania too. Nah, Jeff Hardy, love you, buddy, but you ain't going to be the champion. AJ Styles, it's not your time right now. I'm sure you'll get it again one day. I, too, am going to go with McIntyre. I'm about 95% sure, so we're three for three. Next, you have your Elimination Chamber on the SmackDown side of things, and this one is to determine who will face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship immediately thereafter. Jimmy Uso versus Kevin Owens versus Baron Corbin versus Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan versus Cesaro. Your thoughts? God, they're not going to do Owens again, are they? Cesaro's been getting a little bit of a push. Uh, people, the preceding thing that I've seemed to find online is that people think Cesaro is going to win the chamber and then Seth Rollins is going to cost him because if you've seen on SmackDown, Rollins came back and started a little ditty with uh, with Antonio. Yeah, yeah, we watched that. Yeah. So my pick is going to be, because they've been, they've been running with the damn Owens thing for so long now, and they already did the Uso storyline, so I don't think it's going to be that. Sami Zayn, you're in the Jeff Hardy spot. I love you. You're near and dear to my heart. You're very entertaining. You're not going to be the universal champion, boss. Daniel Bryan, uh, at any time, they can elevate him to the main event, and it would make sense. Right now, I think it's definitely leaning towards someone else. Baron Corbin is Baron Corbin. So um, I'm going to pick Cesaro. I'm going Cesaro or Bryan. 
All right. Well, in our next match is going to be Roman Reigns versus X. So in my case, it's going to be Roman Reigns versus Cesaro. And in your case, it's going to be Roman Reigns versus Cesaro and or Daniel Bryan. So who do you got winning that one and walking out with the uh, championship of the universe? Huh? 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 Damn, she that, that, that popped her. No, it's not that joke. I'm laughing because is anyone other than Roman Reigns really going to win that? <laughs> oh, I thought I was funny. I was like, I didn't even think it was that good. But there's my wife just shitting on me again. Yeah, that's my favorite hobby. So Roman Reigns is walking out the Universal Champion. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think any titles are going to change hands. Could be a decent show. Let's find out tomorrow, yeah. Roman Reigns walking out champion is not a prediction. It's a spoiler. Uh, you little bastard. I've heard that one before by Paulie Dangerously. Well, uh, we've, uh, we've had the salad. We've had the dinner rolls with butter. It's time to get to the main course. Brrr, drum roll. <laughs> the fuck kind of drum roll was that? Brrr. I can't do that thing with my lips to make an actual drum roll. Brrr. That sounds like just like a fucking like a double bass pedal, like, like an Avenged Sevenfold song. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if the slaps were picking up, but drum roll. There, I moved the mic closer to Sammy's thighs so you can hear the 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 drum roll. Uh, we're moving on to our meat and potatoes, our our big uh, our big story of the week. This is like I said, we chose three wrestlers in the WWE or were in the WWE, made their name there. Perhaps you would say they became at their peak there. We have three current wrestlers, three classic wrestlers. What we did is we watched one classic wrestler, then we watched a current wrestler, then a classic, then a current, then a classic, then a current, and a match of theirs from before they made it big in the Federation working for Vince. Yeah, and a little caveat is most of these, actually all of them except for two, three. Okay, but some of these, so some of these, both people are now bigger, big stars, but we're only concentrating on the one. We'll talk about the other one, but we're only really concentrating on the one. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's it. So uh, to start things out, we are going with the legendary, newly retired as of Survivor Series 2020. I'm talking about the man from Death Valley, the Prince of Darkness, the former five-time WWE and World Heavyweight Champion, the Dead Man, the American Badass, Big Evil, Kane's older brother talking about the undertaker but this is before the undertaker so if you can picture if you will a man about six foot ten with ginger red hair and a ginger red beard and he's very tall and he's very lanky no tattoos pasty white skin just looking like some guy you would meet at a fucking hardware store up north somewhere we're talking about mean mark callis and we're talking wcw in 1990 Mean Mark Callis versus Flying Brian Pillman from WCW Clash of the Champions 11 on June 13th, 1990. I'm the rudest, crudest, rudest man of professional wrestling today, and every single word that I say is backed up by the most awesome human machine of destruction on God's green earth. And if you want to come out here and live up to your rumors of being dead, brother, don't buy an Ozzy Osbourne record. Step in the ring with me, Mark. Get hit with the hard punch. Get hit with the heat-seeking missile. You'll live up to your prophecies just fine. Uh, mean Mark is brought to the ring by Paul E. Dangerously, better known today as Paul Heyman. We just referenced him. And, um, Sam, what did you think of uh, pre-Undertaker Undertaker? 
I thought he got. So I know we're focusing on the Undertaker, but I feel like flying Brian Pillman upshowed him in this match. But also that might I don't know how long Brian Pillman was wrestling at this time. And you could tell that Mean Mark was a little bit more green. Mean Mark was greener than a bag of salad. Yeah, he was more green, so he definitely got showed up. It wasn't a bad match. It just he wasn't. He was already doing some of his signature stuff. Like I mentioned this to you last night, where like he pinned him. He kind of did like the Cobra thing, like how he does when he's Undertaker, where he kind of pins him like he's in like a Cobra, and then he like sticks his head up and does like the. Yeah, yeah, he had the pin. He was already doing the uh, the rope walk, so like you could tell he had the potential. And the dude is just so big. That, like, you can tell that there's something there. If you'd have asked me watching that, if that would go on to be the dude who wrestled for 30 years and the most iconic gimmick, it, it is, straight up. There's no argument. That's the most iconic gimmick in pro wrestling history. I would have said, no, probably not. Yeah, no, he didn't look like a superstar at all. So it's your, it's a, it's only like a seven-and-a-half-minute match. It's like a basic extended squash. Your typical big dude beats the little dude down. Pillman flying around, bumping around that ring like a like a goddamn tennis ball, just bouncing all over the place for Mean Mark. Pillman's a babyface house of fire. He gets his uh, hope spots, a couple of them. He knocks Paul Heyman off the ropes, and the people the people go absolutely batshit for this. Yeah, the crowd was hot for this. The crowd really liked this. But was there was there a lot else going on in WCW at this time? Like this was before Hogan. Well, I mean, WCW used to be – when Hogan first came in, and we'll get to that because we watched something on that show, the people were excited at first, but WCW fans did not like Hogan because the thing you got to realize is WCW fans were, like, very much, like, Southern wrestling fans. Like, they had Ric Flair and the Horsemen and, like, Terry Funk and, like, all those guys, and they grew up on, like, good old-fashioned beat-em-up wrestling. They didn't like that sports entertainment shit that Vince did. So, yeah, no, the crowd was hot because they, they, they like to see their, their professional wrestling. And this was pro wrestling stripped down to its barest essence. Little man beat up by big man. Little man might beat big man, but then big man beat little man. Yeah, so they must have loved Mean Mark. He must have been very sad when he went bye-bye. Do you think that we could reanimate Dr. Seuss's dead corpse and get him to write a book called Big Man Beat Little Man and just read back exactly what I just said? I think that's a bestseller. I mean, yeah, let's just contact whoever cryogenically froze Walt Disney and who's planning on cryogenic. I can't say that word. Who's ever planning on freezing Vince McMahon when he decides. Walt, Walt, buddy, are you sleeping? Hi, Vince. Walt, you know Dr. Seuss, don't you? Yeah. I need him to write me a book. I have a guy coming in in November. His name's Mark, and he's a big man, and he beats on little men. And I need a book about big men beating little men do you think seuss can do that for me we can do that for you <laughs> that was funny <laughs> oh bother but uh but yeah that's our first match uh we started with something that uh i knew was going to be relatively quick because the rest of these matches are relatively long so we it's it's like a regular show you start out with something hot to get the crowd hot it got me and sammy hot that's what it, it got me and sam ready for the rest of the night it, it got me and Sam ready to watch more wrestling, if that goddamn phrasing. Um, our second match, going to the current day WWE roster, uh, current NXT champion, former WWE Universal champion for one day, had a main roster run for a couple of years before going back down to NXT. 
uh, Finn Balor. So for Finn Balor, I'm not too familiar with his past. So I, uh, I know the basics of it. He was in uh, New Japan Professional Wrestling. He wrestled around the world. His name was uh, Prince Devitt, based off of his real name, Fergal Devitt. Old Fergie. What a name. What a name. Hey, you want to go down to the pub and have a pint with me and my boy Fergal? That's just... Is everyone's name like that in Ireland? Do you know what Seamus' real name is? No. Steven or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> for our sake, we are going back to 2013 to New Japan Pro Wrestling, Kazuna, Kazuna Road. Apologies if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, your main event of that evening is Prince David going for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Kazuchika Okada. Now, you will be challenge to the title match. How do you feel now? Hi! I feel great! It's about time the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion has been given a shot at the Heavyweight Championship! Okada Kazuchika Senshu,についてはどのように感じてますか? What's your impression on Okada? Hi! Machine gun! Huh? What's my impression of Okada? We hate Okada! Screw Okada! Um, so at this time, Prince Devitt is going into this match as the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Bullet Club. I'm sure you've heard of them because they're still around in some facet across three promotions. Had just formed at this time. Uh, Devitt is brought to the ring with by uh, Carl Anderson... Tamatonga and Bad Luck Fale. Uh, Kazuchika Okada comes out, accompanied by Gato, his former manager. Okada had kind of taken things by storm. He became the champion for the first time in 2012. This was his second reign, according to Kevin Kelly, who uh, this had English commentary on the New Japan world that was added in post-production. Sounded like probably a couple years later. But, um, honey, Finn Balor, eight years ago, Prince Devitt, what were your impressions of him then? I thought he was good. It was a little weird. We talked about it while we were watching the match. He looked, I don't know if it was his character, but or if he was exhausted. He looked like something was going on with him. Prince Devitt in 2013 looks like the dude, like you would like go to 7-Eleven at like 2 in the morning because you'd been smoking the, the dope all night with your good buddy Richie. And then you guys were like, man, I could use a, a bag of Doritos and an Arizona iced tea. Well, uh... Prince Devitt's going to be outside the 7-Eleven trying to sell you Percocets at 2 in the morning. Yeah, he looked like he'd seen better days, honestly. <laughs> I'm just laughing because what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> it's better that I'm not even going to save my comparison that I said last night. I don't remember. He looks like the kind of guy sitting outside of a 7-Eleven selling you an EBT card. Oh, God damn it. Oh, this, is, uh, this week is not for the faint at heart. This match was fine. I, I expected a little bit more out of it, I think. It was a main event. It was about 20 minutes, and it was pretty decent. Like, you know, they they each got their shit in. It was nice back and forth for the beginning. Like I was telling Sam yesterday, so New Japan weren't really used to the Western style of fuckery in main event matches. Like, this match had the ref bump, and then Okada gets knocked to the outside, and the entire Bullet Club jumps on him. And then they all try to attack him in the ring. And Japanese fans are booing in a way that they're, like, legitimately not happy. It's not just, boo the heels, boo the heel. It was because the the Japanese culture and the way they watch wrestling is more of, like, yo, we're going to have a clean finish. This is a fucking sport, and it shall be respected as such. But then the Bullet Club's purpose was to bring in, like, the Western style of wrestling and kind of, like, 
turn that entire thing up on its head. So to that seems pretty normal to us, but that was like a different thing to them. So what did you, what did you think of the match overall? It was fine. It, uh, like I said, like I thought Finn, ba- it wasn't super interesting to me. Maybe it's because I'm not, I like Finn Balor, but I'm not like a super big Finn Balor fan. I always think his matches are entertaining. This is kind of across the board issue with Finn Balor for me is He's a very good technical wrestler, and he's not terrible on the mic, but he's just not – he doesn't have something super special. I have always felt the same way about Finn Balor. I like him, objectively. He's, like – he's very good, but there's just something that I've never been, like – I know I just, like, literally, like, earlier raved about his match with Pete Dunne, but Pete Dunne's phenomenal, and Finn Balor's very good. But there's always been something about him where I'm just like, damn, he could be a little bit more than this. Yeah, he's like, he's a nine, but you want to see a 10. And there's just, you don't know what's missing, but there's something like that superstar element that some people just have. I feel like he doesn't organically have that. Yeah, like in in an incredible look, the man is a fucking statue of a man, like sculpted like a Greek god. Like, he's got a pretty good look. He talks decently, but there's just something off. And it, it was here. There was something off about this. Um, towards the end, turned into like kind of a finisher reversal fest. Um, there was tombstone pile drivers thrown around, which is funny because we already watched the undertaker wrestle. Huh? Huh? Ha ha. Um, David escapes the rainmaker once or twice, I think, but then Okada hits the rainmaker after disposing of the bullet club and he retains his IWGP championship for his third defense of his second reign. And that's it. Uh, Prince David. Like I said, you uh, he's not entirely different than what he is right now. He was definitely, like, younger-looking, kind of looked like a tweaker, which, again, may have just been part of the character. But otherwise, he's not a whole lot different stylistically than he is today. Yeah, no, like, he's aged well. Like, again, I know this was only, like, what, seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Yeah, so he's aged well. It's just, I don't, I don't know what to say about Finn Balor. I want to love Finn Balor, and, like, sometimes I do. And sometimes I just wish he had whatever was missing. I wish he could make it all click. Yeah, and uh, may, perhaps one day we'll see it. He's he, he's had title reigns. He's been on top of the world. He's He's been on the bottom of the world. And one thing I know is that uh, Bullet Club uh, is for real. Well, that brings us into our third match of the evening. We are two down, and we are on number three. We are going back to the Classics. To, uh, objectively speaking, the greatest wrestler of all time. I, that's You can't say that objectively. He's my number one favorite. Stone Cold fucking Steve Austin. Swig a beer for the working man. What do you say about Steve? I don't know what you can even say about Stone Cold Steve Austin. People who don't watch wrestling know who Stone Cold Steve Austin is. The absolute peak superstar in professional wrestling from 1998 until... 2002 honestly but like he still remains a household name to this day yeah what did you say earlier that you said oh you said the new day had been around longer than steve austin's career yeah well it fucked me up because like the new day has been around for like seven years and i was just driving thinking about this because that's the kind of guy i am the new day has been around longer than austin's entire like run on top in the wwf like he came in in 95 and he was out the door by like mid 2002 and he only had like one or two matches after that so it's amazing. Like, if you think about it, I, I don't mean to derail, but Austin's career, The Rock's entire WWE in-ring career lasted seven years. 
And then today there's just guys who've been around for 10 plus years. And I think that's probably why today's product feels so stale, but that's for a different, different topic for a different time. Um, we're going back to stone cold, Steve Austin, the, uh, the beer drinking, ass kicking stone cold, stunning, bald headed son of a bitch. But in a time before stone cold, Steve Austin, he was simply stunning. Stunning Steve Austin with the, the blonde hair. Stunning Steve Austin, the underutilized mid-card bit player in WCW with, yeah, blonde hair. Like, it's super weird to go back and watch. I've seen a lot of Stunning Steve Austin, and it still fucks me up every time to go back and just see this dude with, like, hair and just, like, in the middle of a card. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Stunning Steve's story is he came into WCW. He was kind of a mid-card act for a while. He was part of the Dangerous Alliance in 1992 with Polly Dangerously, Arn Anderson, Larry Zbysko, Ravishing Rick Rude, and beautiful Bobby Eaton. They disbanded, um, formed a tag team with Brian Pillman, known as the Hollywood Blondes, for reasons or one reason or another. They ended up breaking up. Uh, Steve Austin seemed to be destined for greater things. He was the United States heavyweight champion leading into the show that we're about to discuss. Uh, he defends that championship against uh, another legend, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And then the month after this, spoiler alert, Steve Austin gets squashed by Hacksaw Jim Duggan after a change of the regime and Hulk Hogan comes in and changes kind of the way things are politically structured in WCW. And then Austin takes some time off for an injury. He gets fucked off and fired over FedEx, joins ECW, and then a short while later is in the WWF and uh, history is history. So, the match we watched, WCW, Bash at the Beach, July 7th, 1994. Stunning Steve Austin defending the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. The thing that gets me, though, the most is this Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about Ricky Steamboat, because here's a guy I used to respect, but this is a guy that's so damn stupid, he'll never learn from his past mistakes. He'll never learn what it takes to beat Steve Austin. You're going to have to go into the rule book, Ricky Steamboat, because there's no way, no way that you can beat me. Now, Ricky Steamboat's a legend in his own right, and at this point, he was kind of in the twilight of his career. He'd been around for a long-ass time. He had a run in the, WW the WWF in the mid-'80s, having a classic WrestleMania three contest with Macho Man Randy Savage, went back to the NWA, had the series of epic matches that everyone remembers against Nature Boy Ric Flair across 88 and 89, went back to the WWF for a cup of coffee, and now here he is in WCW, amazing worker, one of the best in-ring talents of all time. You don't know too much about Ricky Steamboat, do you? I just know, like, his character, like, he's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Like, if you show me a picture of him now, I'd be able to be like, yeah, that's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But I don't, we haven't watched too many of his matches. We don't watch a lot of stuff, like, pre-90s. Ever. Really. No, and uh, I need to I need to expand your repertoire. I gotta open, open your eyes to this. Yeah, Steamboat was already uh, a legend in his own right. Still highly regarded to this day. Uh, he is half Japanese, as we learned yesterday. Because, why did why did I have to look that up? Because I asked if he was Asian or not. Because I felt like the character they gave him was an Asian. But I know, like, they do that sometimes. Like, Yokozuna wasn't Asian, but they made him an Asian sumo wrestler. But he was Samoan. That's true. So she's like, is Ricky the Dragon Japanese because of the dragon? And I was like, you know, I don't know. But turns out, he is. Uh, he is uh, half Japanese. Did you know that uh, 
Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's actual name is Richard Blood. So his actual fucking name is Dick Blood. You're lying. I swear to Christ. Keep talking. I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia. What am I supposed to talk about? I don't believe this, just so you know. I don't believe that his name is Dick Blood. Nobody's ever called him that. Oh, it is. Huh. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Birth name, Richard Henry Blood. The dude's name is Dick Blood. He could have gone by Dick Blood his entire career. Could you imagine that shit? On his way to the ring from Knoxville, Tennessee, Dick Blood. I feel like that would have been more of a thing during like the Attitude Era if they could have pulled that off. I haven't seen Dick Blood like this since Kai and Ty Choppy Choppy Val Venus' pee-pee. What? Um, we haven't gotten there yet. So, uh, Dick Blood against Stunning Steve Austin for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Good match. Like, very technically sound. Like, a lot of back and forth. Austin bumping like a madman. He was such a good worker. He was still a good worker after the neck injury, but just beforehand, the dude could go. He was flying around that ring for Ricky the Dragon. Everything Steamboat does is crisp, just flawlessly executed. 20 minutes of good, solid technical wrestling. And I don't know what's going on at Bash at the Beach 94, but this crowd is absolutely fucking deceased for this match. Yeah, they were so quiet. And then they started booing for some reason. Like, I don't even think because it was like both of them. They were booing. It wasn't like they were booing for the heel. Like, they were just booing in the middle of the match for what seemed like no reason. Yeah, there was nothing, even anything bad that was going on. I think it might have been like a rest spot or Steamboat have rolled outside the ring or something, but the crowd just straight starts up like booing, like they're bored out of their mind. And that's insane because you're watching Ricky the Dragon, who was beloved by WCW fans, and then Stunning Steve, who would go on to be the biggest damn icon of all time. And these people are sitting on their hands at Bash at the Beach. Yeah, when we were talking about this last night, like you asked me which like of the six that we watched like which was my favorite like this was one of my this probably would have been my top in my top two but the crowd was just so dead that it took me out of it yeah and in trying to determine why they may have been dead this was the night that hulk hogan debuted in wcw so my only thought is that like the crowd was there to see hogan because like the wcw faithful loved their wcw loved their flares loved their steamboats loved their horsemen but their attendance and their, like, ratings were bad, like, real bad in the mid-90s. And Hogan admittedly turned them around. Like, this is the most bought WCW show, I think, until Starcade 97, which is their highest bought pay-per-view of all time. And it sold out. So my only thought is that, like, the crowd is there to see Hogan in, like, a 20-minute technical wrestling match is just something that doesn't whet their whistle. They want to see Hulkamania run wild, brother. Yeah, like I was telling you, I was paying attention to the crowd. And like if you looked like right behind the ring, like those front three rows, like it was like older people dressed up. Like it was it was an older gentleman. Like there was like a full three rows of it. It was an older gentleman. And right next to him was a younger girl all dressed up. And you know they were just there to see Hogan. Well, those are my friends. My name is Ted Turner. And those are my pals. They came to watch good old-fashioned wrestling. They came to see Hulk Hogan. And uh, we're going to give the people what they want. Yeah, I felt like they were just, like, very important people, like, placed in the crowd that were just there for the Hogan stuff. They got to watch me get my heat, dude. I hate Hulk Hogan. And uh, Hulk Hogan, by the way, in his first night, wins the WCW championship off of uh, beloved Ric Flair. So that's, uh, it's a glimpse into the future of WCW. 
it's a glimpse of the next four years. So um, some nice back and forth. There was a lot of things. It was weird. Like, there was a lot of stuff in this match that Okada and Devitt did, and I'm sure it was just coincidence. But, like, their drop kick, I think uh, Okada drop kicks Devitt off the top rope down to the floor in their match. And this one, Steamboat drop kicks Austin down, and Austin gets caught up in the ropes. Uh, tombstone pile drivers galore. Steamboat dumps Steve Austin on his fucking head four years before Owen Hart did the same thing. Yeah, there was like a 45-second sequence that was like verbatim, like six-move sequence that was the same in both matches. It was really strange. It's like old Balor was backstage in Japan like, Hey, Okada, we ought to watch fucking Dragon. Or whatever that sound was. But uh, all in all, Steve Austin gets a big win, uh, reverses a roll-up into a roll-up of his own. He tried to get himself disqualified several times because he's like, Well, hell, son, I can't beat this damn dragon because dragons breathe fire and you can't put out a fire with a damn beer. It's so funny because we watched a promo of studying Steve Austin this morning and I didn't, we didn't see him talk last night. And it's so funny because it's like I've, it's this blonde pretty boy essentially kind of i guess i don't know and he's just he's still got that steve austin voice yeah and he's <laughs> he's built from hollywood california you got this like blonde haired dude like who's supposed to be like a hollywood blonde and he's over there talking about steve austin feels the best that steve austin's ever felt like this this thick ass texas accent like dude who are, who are you fooling yeah it was hilarious what hilarious what what i said is it funny it's funny you find it funny i find it funny you find it humorous hell yeah did it make you laugh hell yeah. what what uh, all right so uh that's three down we're going into the second half of our card going back to the modern day the following wrestler that we watched a match of before he made it big to the wwe nxt uk brand is the one and only Walesman, Welshman? Welsh. Welshman, White Lightning, Mark Andrews. Now I know what you're thinking. Who is Mark Andrews? You have had The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Finn Balor. Who the fuck is Mark Andrews? And if you do know, kudos to you. You're a real one. Well, turns out here on the Very Muzzy Wrestling Podcast, we can talk about whoever the hell we want to. So we're going to talk about White Lightning Mark Andrews, because Mark Andrews is the shit. Sammy, go off on Mark Andrews. I love Mark Andrews. I met Mark Andrews in a night of Columbus Hall, and it was my favorite moment. She was shaking, you guys. So for those of you who don't know, Mark Andrews is a cruiserweight wrestler, small dude, real small dude, very polite guy. We met him. Uh, he was around, and he came up. He's from the UK. He's from Wales. He came up in their scene. Um, he did very well in the first UK um, championship. I think he, the second to last round or the semifinals, he lost to Pete Dunne. Yeah, uh, he used to be in TNA, uh, known as Mandrews, simply as Mandrews, so you may have seen him there. Currently, he's on the NXT UK roster, so to me, he's in the WWE. He's made it big. Uh, for this case, we decided to watch a match from about five years ago, from a little promotion known as Progress, based out of the UK. And god damn it, Progress was my absolute favorite wrestling promotion on the planet for about two years. Yeah, that's another thing. As I've mentioned before, like the UK tournaments kind of what got me into wrestling, and then we watched Progress. I think I just really like British strong style. Yeah, I think I think Sammy's into those British accents. But uh, 
No, for those of you who don't know what progress is, it was so good. Like peak progress, I would say is for between 2015 and probably 2018. And then they were bought by the WWE and they still exist as like a feeder system, but you could tell it wasn't the same anymore. They have the most hype ass crowds you'll ever see. They used to have like the best entrance music and then WWE bought them and it slowly got more like corporatized. Like anytime there was WWE talent on the show, you knew they were going to win. Like it just kind of, it didn't have the same feel to it, but there was a point where this promotion was so fucking good. And if you have $7, go to, go to demandprogress.pivotshare.com, throw up a subscription and just watch like everything up to like 2018 and just fucking enjoy it. Cause it's so good. It's absolutely great. Uh, the match we decided to watch was from Progress Chapter 30. They called their shows Chapters, so this was their 30th show. The uh, Super Strong Style 16 tournament from May 29th, 2016 against uh, NXT's former Kashi Gasono, better known as Chris Hero. It was the first time I got to step into the ring with Chris Hero, or Cassius Ono, and for me, that was a huge opportunity because he's someone who I've looked up to for most of my career. Some of the near falls at the end of this match had the fans going absolutely crazy on their feet. And still, when I meet fans today, they say that this is one of their favorite matches from my career and from progress wrestling in general. And for those of you who don't know, Chris Hero, <laughs> Chris Hero ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah, he is a, he is a big lad. I love Chris Hero. Fucking love him. And I'll go into it during this match, but seriously, Chris Hero is in my top five favorite wrestlers at any given time on the planet. The dude is phenomenal, and I, I understand why he didn't get pushed in the WWE. He's got a real bad look, especially with, like, I think if he's, like, shirtless, he's a big dude. Let's just say it. He used to be, like, pretty relatively thin, then he put out a bunch of weight. And to me, I don't think it detracts from him because he throws elbows and he kicks people with the stiffness and the quickness. And he looks like a big, tough son of a bitch. But then in WWE, he wore like a weird basketball jersey and it looked like he was wearing like a fucking child's onesie. And he was just ripped fat dude. He's on the ripped fat dude workout. Shout out to Eliza Schlesinger. How tall is Chris Hero? Um, Not super tall. Not overly tall. Like probably like 6'2 or something like that. Really? He looks... Super tall. Fuck, I don't know. Now you got me wikipedia Chris Hero in the middle of the podcast. I mean, we also watched him against Mark Andrews. And for those of you who don't know anything about Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is probably like 5'7". Probably. Mark, ma'am, Andrews is probably like 5'8 or 9 tops. Okay, Hero's 6'4", so he's a bit taller than I thought. Chris Hero, he th- he's strong style. He throws strikes. He throws punches. Uh, Mark Andrews moves quick with the quickness. They call him White Lightning. We're here at Progress Chapter 30, Super Strong Style 16 Tournament, Night 1. And this match, it it absolutely bangs. It smacks. It fucks. Yes. It hits. It wham bam, thank you, mans. First off, you gotta, so this, this crowd, dude, they are so hot for everything. Like, anyone who has even a slight reputation is over, like, fucking Austin in his prime. So already the crowd is ecstatic that Chris Hero is there, and you can't blame them because Chris Hero is the absolute best. Mark Andrews is a Progress original hometown boy, was at one time a Progress world champion. He was also a tag team champion with Eddie Dennis there. So both people are over right from the rip. Uh, Chris Hero is a big guy. Mark Andrews is a little guy. I go back to the Undertaker match from earlier. That's classic wrestling. Big guy beats up little guy. Little guy tries to beat up big guy. Big guy beats up little guy. You fucking pay to see it. It's money every time. 
Yeah, and it's especially good with like both guys are good wrestlers because you still want to believe that little guy has a chance. And you believe it in here. Mark Andrews plays an amazing baby face in peril, like an amazing underdog. Like he has to be an underdog. There's never been a match where he's the favorite in any semblance. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a match where he was the favorite ever. So Hero's throwing Andrews around, and Andrews is trying. He's trying to throw chops and stuff, and he's hitting, like, huracanranas and head scissors and stuff, you know, like a little fellow would. But Curse Hero, at every opportunity, just knocks him on his ass with a thunderous elbow strike or a thunderous big boot. And Chris Hero, at some point, just starts disrespecting Andrews, like, nah, dude, you can't hang with me. Like, what the fuck is this little little rap scallion even trying to do in my ring? Yeah, it was funny. When he, like, kept, like, hitting him and, like, Chris Hero was just no selling. He was just like standing there, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's absolutely gold. The crowd is molten hot. Uh, towards the end of the match, you got near fall after near fall. Like Hero continuously just starts hitting big ass moves, like a gigantic release suplex, throwing elbows. Keeps getting the one two. Mark Andrews makes his comeback. Hits the stun dog millionaire, which is a badass suplex stunner. Like he's going to get suplex and he hits a stunner. Shooting star press, just the flips and the do's and all the all the good shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was very good. Uh, the electric ballroom, the the uh, venue that progress runs. Toward the end of this match, every single person in the arena is on their fucking feet, just chanting for these guys because it's absolutely just a bonkers ass match. Definitely my overall favorite of everything we watched. It's real short too, like not real short, but it's only fifteen minutes, so it's super quick. Fucking incredible match though. Go watch it. Uh, so towards the end of it, Chris Hero proves to be just a little bit too much. He uh, he knocks Chris he knocks Mark Andrews down one last time. He gets a big win, big uh, big match, big stakes, big fight feel. I hope Chris Hero comes back around after COVID is done. I know he's getting up there. He's like 42 now, but the dude's on a fucking different level when in ring work, and he's been around since like 1998. He deserves he gets plenty of respect from like the rest like the hardcore wrestling fans and a bunch of wrestlers alike but he deserved to be known so much more on a mainstream level yeah and like mark andrews like i really i know he's small and he will never ever in his whole career make the main roster but i would love to see him in like the main roster because there's so many people that i think he would just be fantastic against like could you imagine like a mark andrews Rey mysterio or like mark andrews jeff hardy yeah like mark andrews he's He's fucking awesome. He could be on the main roster tomorrow, and, like, he's just so small that it's going to be a detriment to him. Like, it's not like an Adam Cole or something where he's small, but he's just got, like, this overwhelming presence of a star. Like, I'll admit, Mandrews doesn't really have that in terms of, like, charisma, but he's a fucking great wrestler, and he, does, he too, deserves more. So if you hear this, just trust me. It's on the WWE Network. Uh, there's a section called Mark Andrews' Best Matches in Progress. Get on there and check it out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You're going to thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, like I said, to my to our point, to this point, my favorite match that we watched. Yeah, it's it was my favorite too, I believe. I know, so I was also drinking a little bit last night, and I was a couple shots at when we watched the Bean Mark Fly and Brian one. So I was really feeling that just because I had a couple beverages in me. <laughs> but I think, like, looking back overall, like, this up to this point, this was definitely Mark Andrews and Chris Hero was definitely my favorite. Yeah, so we've had, uh, we've had a little bit of everything. We've had uh, IWGP championship matches. 
Um, we've had technical classics. We've had 15-minute sprints, hard-hitting action. Now it's time for something entirely different. And holy shit, was I not ready for this. I was slightly traumatized. Up next is the IWA Japan King of the Death Match from August 18th, 1995, your main event. An exploding barbed wire death match between Terry Funk and the focus of this next match for us, Cactus Jack. Funk, you were my friend. When I needed guidance, I called Terry Funk. When I needed answers, I asked Terry Funk. But when I need to take my place in the sport of professional wrestling with the legends of the business, I show up here. And I don't ask Terry Funk anything. I tell him! Jesus Christ. Mick Foley is legitimately nuts. So, like, it starts out, we watched the promo earlier for it, and Foley puts it over like he's not terrified of this shit at all. But as soon as the match starts, like, Terry Funk is punching him in the fucking face. Like, it's straight up, like, stiff punches, and I'm like, oh, we're in for something completely different. The ropes are gone. They've been replaced with barbed wire. And we're pretty sure this was, like, real barbed. Like, this wasn't, like, the fucking, like, oh, we're going to have a barbed wire match. I'm pretty sure this was a legit barbed wire. This is not worked barbed wire, you guys. This is shoot barbed wire, dude. Like, every time they touch it, it gets stuck in their clothes, their hair. Like, you can see it just ripping into these fucking guys. Like, the ropes are all barbed wire. There are four boards in the ring, like wooden boards covered in barbed wire that explode when you get thrown onto them. Uh, the concept of this match is there are four tubs on the outside filled with explosives, and at the 10-minute mark, it just explodes. So that's why it's an exploding barbed wire death match. But what what did you think of this shit? It was nuts. That is the most blood I've ever seen in a match, ever. I can't think of another match where I've seen more blood. I There was at least five times, and I've I've grown accustomed to this shit. Like, it doesn't really affect me. Like, violence and wrestling will, like... I was tense. Like, I was, like, curled up in a fucking ball on the couch, and we both just screamed out, like, ah! Oh, God! Yeah, like, I don't, like, I'm not a fan of, like, scary stuff, but, like, gore, like, I I actually really enjoy, like, gore. Like, I don't buy, like, blood and guts and stuff like that. Like, that doesn't bother me. But when you see it, like, in something that's quote-unquote, like, real life, kind of, like, obviously it's wrestling, it's fake, it's scripted. But it's like a real thing happening to a person. Like it's pretty, it's pretty unnerving. Like there was literally like I don't even remember what part it was. I think it was at the very, very end, where like fully just like lifts his heads up, and there's just like a pool. It's just like a pool of blood. Yeah, and I guess the crazy thing to mention, and I, I could have prefaced with this. So at this point, Terry Funk, correct, Cactus Jackson is mid to late twenties. Terry Funk is forty nine fucking years old. He's like fifty. He's 50. He should be thinking about his golden years, and he's out here. He's already bandaged up and bloody before the match even starts because it was a tournament. He'd already wrestled and gone through glass or some shit. And Cactus Jack at this point is already a big name. Like, he hadn't been in the WWF yet, so he wasn't at his peak, but he'd already been in WCW. He was like a mid-carder, and he had a couple high-profile feuds with uh, Vader and Sting, but he was already known. Yeah, this was like... During his ECW time, right? Yeah, right around it. So he left WCW. Um, he just didn't like it there and decided that he was going to just do what he wanted to do. And apparently what he wanted to do was sacrifice his body and his future for this fucking industry. Yeah, it's so crazy to me that Mick Foley... Mick Foley is nuts. 
like i think he's the night like every time i see a promo of him or read his tweets or anything i feel like he's the nicest guy but he is like there's there's a screw loose somewhere in there there has to be for him to be doing the shit he was doing in his like 20s like and yeah he made a name for himself and he's like one of the most iconic wrestlers of all time and no one else has really done what he did dude's an absolute fucking psychopath he has to have like an ungodly pain tolerance. Like they need to do studies on him because we we watched an interview with him and maybe it was like on one of those like documentaries we watched. But he was basically they were asking about something. He's like, "Yeah, hurt." But it was something that like he should have been in like excruciating pain. The man should be dead. Like this is before Hell in a Cell and all that. Like this this is this is a whole new piece of business, man. Like, the very first time Cactus slams Terry Funk onto one of the barbed wire boards and it explodes, you were like, like, I saw terror in your eyes. Yeah, because, like, it, I also didn't realize, like, if it was, like, a firework making it explode or, like, if the whole thing was going to catch on fire and their bodies were going to catch on fire. Because, like, there was fire on the board, but it didn't look like it caught them on fire at all. But, like, did the explosion hurt? Like, I don't know. Well, it, it looked like Terry Funk was, like, not on fire, but it looked like his fucking back was smoking. Like, when he rolled off of it. There was four of these boards. I think Funk went on to two, and Cactus went on to two. And Cactus, like, rolled through his. Like, he hit it and, like, just kind of rolled away from it. But Terry Funk kept getting caught on the barbed wire because they used fucking real barbed wire and real explosives. And I guess it's funny. The whole thing is incredibly violent. And like Sam said, Mick Foley ends up bloody. And I've never seen blood like this in a wrestling match, except for maybe one or two times. The dude's entire face is just sticky and red, and he's dripping literal pools of blood onto the fucking mat. It's like a miracle he was able to walk out of there. But it's funny, with with all this violence, at the point where the ring is supposed to quote-unquote explode, Terry Funk's in the middle of it, and Cactus Jack rolls out of it, and the explosion is very underwhelming, and the crowd starts booing because the explosion was underwhelming. It's like, do you not appreciate all this other shit that's going on in front of you? They wanted to see, I think that crowd wanted to see someone die that night. Cactus, do you think that the fireworks are going to go off and maybe my limbs will go flying into the fourth row, Cactus? Yeah, I think maybe they didn't want to see someone die, obviously, but they wanted to see someone get seriously injured. And because, like, I kind of thought that, too. Like, when they started counting down, I was like, oh, yeah, there's supposed to be an explosion at some point. And then it happened. And, like, that was it. I don't know, Terry. I think we're going to leave part of ourselves in that ring tonight. Well, Cactus, we got to give these fans their money's worth. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to fucking dump you off the top of a ladder onto some barbed wire. How do you think, kid? That's the fucking finish. The finish is really weird. But Cactus Jack is on top of a ladder. And Terry Funk pushes Cactus Jack down, and Jack lands in the barbed wire ropes, and then Terry Funk is on his back, and then Cactus Jack just climbs over and pins Terry Funk. And it's kind of weak, but everything leading up to it is so damn insane that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I remember asking you if it was like a botched finish, because... So, the camera work on this match wasn't great, obviously. It was in another country in the mid-90s. I don't know how good their technology was. I don't know. Anyways, but there was so many times during the match where the ref was just counting, but he wasn't in shot. Um, so I don't know if the finish was botched because, like, the ref was ca- – so that happened. I don't know if maybe Terry Funk got hurt and they had to end it there. But basically, so, yeah, so Terry Funk was the one who was on offense. Yeah. 
against McFoley. And then McFoley covers him. And he kicks out, like, right at three. And then, like, everyone in the ring seems a little confused, but they kind of just roll with it. Yeah, usually if a Terry's kicking out at three to protect his heat, it's going to be Hogan. <laughs> huh? huh? So, yeah, it's kind of weird. Maybe maybe Funk was just like, all right, kid, let's end this shit. Or maybe someone was like, you guys got to finish this. Just do something. But it's so a weird finish, but it's so incredibly fucking violent. Like, I was shocked. Like, it, they were pulling no punches. They were getting shredded to bits for the uh, Japanese faithful. This match is on YouTube. I couldn't find it on, like, any of the streaming services I have. But it's on YouTube if you want to check it out. You will have to sit through some neckbeard commentary. It was fine, I guess. So, yeah, there's two versions. One has, like, a commentary by Mick Foley. But so, the video quality the, is terrible. The video quality is not good. So the one we watched was, like, voiced over by... I think it was the guy who used to do commentary for Ring of Honor in the 2000s, Dave Prezak, and then I didn't know the other guy, but it's just kind of meh. kind of brings the match down a bit, but then you're so overtook by this the the spectacle that you don't really care. Yeah, that uh, the commentary wasn't bad. Like I like cuz I know we switched between the matches a couple of times and I just couldn't deal with the quality of the one with um Cactus Jack's commentary. Yeah. So you have options, but if, if you like blood, if you like guts, if you like violence, if you like work rate, if you like watching an old man get beaten half to death, and you like watching a young guy throw his future away for the sport of kings, well, goddamn, this is the match for you. Five stars. Classic. Uh, that leads us into our main event of the evening. Current day. WWE roster. I didn't intend for it to be two people who are current. It just kind of happened. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have a long-standing rivalry, leading far back to before they were in the WWE. They came into the uh, WWE at similar times. Zayn was around about half a year before Owens, I believe. No, it was about a year and a half before Owens, because Owens hung, hung around uh, Ring of Honor for till about 2014. So they picked it right up. But uh, Kevin Steen and El Generico had the rivalry of the Indies between 2009 and 2011. And uh, we could have chose many matches. We could have chose a lot of Ring of Honor matches. We could have probably picked Final Battle 2010, which was the main conclusion to their rivalry in Ring of Honor. But I went to a little promotion based out of Southern California known as Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, PWG. And PWG is the shit. Yeah, I've watched PWG. It's basically anybody who is an indie wrestler it's it's not like a promotion where they have like solid storylines they kind of just have people coming in and out to just kind of showcase maybe work with new people it seems like i don't know what their actual like gimmick is so yeah pwg is more of like a super indie they're not on tv they just they run shows well they did covid's kind of shut them down hopefully they come back goddamn but they run like a show a month, if that. Sometimes like a show every two months. They're just on DVD. They have no TV contract or anything. So it's basically just the biggest names in independent wrestling coming around to have super cards. It's fucking awesome. Um, I don't even know if I've ever told you this. Kevin Steen is the reason I started watching indie wrestling. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's like I, I heard about him and I looked up some interviews. This was in 2012. I started watching independent wrestling. I was like, I'm, I'm sick of the Fed. I'm sick of the Federation. I need an alternative, you know, like wrestling fans are. <laughs> so yeah i uh, i found out about pwg from like a youtube thing because i looked up kevin steen 
So this was actually the second PWG show I had watched. Um, and this is from PWG Steen Wolf from October 11th, 2011. It's your main event. It is Kevin Steen versus El Generico in a ladder match for the PWG World Championship. I thought the final battle 2010 really was just that, the end for Generico and I, our last fight. But I've since then realized that he and I are destined to do this forever. And Jesus. It snacked. It's like these guys sat behind, sat backstage beforehand and were like, hey, I know we're best friends. How could we potentially kill each other tonight? Their story is so interesting to me because, like, they're always feuding. It seems like they're either best friends or they're feuding with each other. And I know we watched that. I don't remember if it was, like, a WWE documentary or something independent of that. But they have, like, a weird, like, friendship. Like, yeah, they're best friends, but they also have, like, a real-life, like, rivalry. Like, it got to the point where their friendship in real life got kind of ugly because everyone thought that Kevin... Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens was going to be this big star. Then Sami Zayn went first. And then Kevin Owens got there. And Kevin Owens ended up being bigger. And Sami Zayn kind of felt like he was pushing the background. And it's very interesting. They're, like, outside of wrestling, like, their friendship and stuff like that. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, they've been uh, – they became friends in the early 2000s. They came up together because they're both French-Canadian boys. They started up there together and came up through the ranks together as a tag team before Owens turned on uh, Generico at Ring of Honor Final Battle 2009, which prompted a year-long rivalry, which ended in Generico beating him in a fight without honor, which I need to show you if I never have, because that match is great too. But I wanted to go with PWG to talk about PWG a little bit. It, uh, my favorite promotion at one point. Again, I love Progress. I feel like I'm saying the same shit I said about Progress, but it's so good. Um I have a, quite a PWG collection. I don't mean to brag. I have a best of PWG set, and uh, Daniel Bryan is on one of the discs, and I met him, and I had him sign it, and he signed it as Brian Danielson. Ooh, he's going to get sued by the Fed. Ain't that like the nerdiest shit you've ever heard in your life? Because wasn't he in WWE at this point? Yeah, I met him. I was like, will you sign my PWG DVDs? And he's like, do you want me to sign it as brian danielson and i was like oh my god yeah <laughs> i can only imagine yeah i damn i pert near finished there at the autorama yeah but i feel like he probably <laughs> also thought that was really cool because it's just like probably a bunch of like people that are just like yeah like children and stuff and people that know him but he probably kind of appreciated that probably but on the other hand this was also before i lost a bunch of weight so like not dissing any big fellas out there i still got a, I still got a gut I used to weigh like 350, so I just kind of walked up there looking like the prototypical basement wrestling fan. And I'm like, American Dragon, I love your independent work. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think he thought it was cool. Because, I mean, when we met Mark Andrews, he was super impressed that I knew his music. He yeah. Was, he was very excited. He was like, yeah. Da-da. He was like talking to me about it. And I was just like so like starstruck that I don't even know what he said at this point. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Junior. If anybody likes pop punk music, Junior, Mark Andrews Band. Uh, great. Very unknown, but they're very good. Very good. But, uh, yeah. So so back to PWG. Back to this match. Uh, fuck. It's epic, man. Like, the, the Reseda, California crowd for PWG is so molten hot that you could put, like, Braun Strowman and Gilbert in there, and they would get over. Like... Yeah, um, so PWG, I think it was last year, they got, like, a new contract, and they moved out. They, So I only know this because of Matt. I'm not super, like, intelligent about this stuff. 
But so they were in a Legion, an American Legion Hall. Yeah, they were in an American Legion Hall in Reseda, California for years. Yeah, and then last year, 2018, okay, I was going to say 2019, because 2020 and 2020 went Anyways, so, but yeah, so they went to like, it's like a small venue, like it looks like it's a tiny concert venue or something, but it lost a little bit of its spark. Yeah, it's, uh, it did, and I don't know if it's so much as when they moved venues, and we're just, I know we're spending a lot more time talking about PWG than this match, but it's because there's so much to say. But, yeah, they moved venues, and it just didn't have the same feel. Because, like, it's still a small venue, but the Legion was just such a small, intimate building, and it just had an atmosphere to it for being, like, it's your typical fucking hall. If you've ever been to, like, a shitty banquet hall before, you know what the American Legion in Reseda, California looked like, dude. Like, I also say around that time, like, probably 2017 is when WWE started signing indie guys, like, hard. So anytime someone would come through and, like, make a name in PWG, they would get signed right away. Like, you had a series like Walter and Keith Lee and Matt Riddle all, like, came in, worked, like, three shows for PWG, and then were gone. Like, it was hard for them to keep talent. They still bring in good talent when they're running, but uh, it's not it's not what it was. But it's still good. Well, you also have to think, um, I know AEW is a little bit le- more lenient about their people working indies on the side. But you also got to think, when AEW came in, they poached a lot of that talent, too. Well, AEW and PWG had a working agreement, though, because half of AEW is PWG. Like, uh, Excalibur, the commentator on AEW Dynamite, was the cal- was fucking part owner of PWG. Him and Super Dragon, he did commentary for them. The Young Bucks were PWG staples their entire career. So, like, half of the AEW roster comes from there. So, like, actually, after AEW started, on a couple PWG shows, they had AEW talent. Like, uh, Jungle Boy was still working there. Darby Allin, Janela luchasaurus i think um not like the biggest dudes but mjf like you know they still had a relationship it's not like wwe where the e signs somebody i just call it the e i hate myself so much and then they're just gone so maybe they'll still have a working relationship but i we probably won't find out till the end of this year or next year whenever covid passes but uh back to this match so the uh, Ring of Honor rivalry's over, but these guys still everywhere they worked. Like, it was just fucking money. Steen and Generico, that's who you want against each other. This is a uh, ladder match, and uh, PWG ladder matches are not like WWE ladder matches because it's an indie, so they have to go buy ladders from, like, Home Depot. So we're not talking about a ladder you can climb both sides, though. These are real-ass ladders, and they break real easy, and these guys just beat the absolute dog shit out of out of each other with like home depot ladders for 25 minutes yeah it was crazy because they already like took bumps onto this ladder and then they set it up and scene starts going up it and then generico goes up the side that's not meant to be climbed and i was just like this is gonna be real bad yeah and (laughs) the bumps these guys take it's like they were both they it's like i said they both met up and were like hey you like your spine eh that tough shit they just slam each other they slam the ladders into each other's backs with the ferocity of a thousand white hot suns, they fucking slam it like Generico does a Michinoku driver to Steen, who just lands spine first on a ladder standing on its side. Fucking the finish of the match is Generico doing a super power bomb, like a sunset flip power bomb off the ladder through two ladders, if that makes sense. And like, how the fuck does Steen not walk out of this bitch with like six concussions? Yeah, Kevin Owens blows my mind at this point in time because he's still a bigger dude, but he was big at the point of this match yeah he was he was looking a little little thick kevin well-fed steen 
Uh, so yeah, the the crowd is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me what, what do you want to say. I was gonna say Kevin Wellfed Owens. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So that's my new favorite thing that Sammy does. Um, if anyone's watched SmackDown anytime lately, uh, Greg Hamilton, the way he announces Sam's new favorite thing. Do it one more time. Kevin Owens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the first time she did it, I just fucking started cracking up. I also do it for another superstar. She popped me. We were So we were watching uh, Devitt versus Okada for this. And uh, Kevin Kelly mentions how Shinsuke Nakamura won the Intercontinental Championship like the earlier in the night. And out of nowhere, she's just like, Shinsuke Nakamura. Just, God, this this woman gets me, you guys. <laughs> Fuck. But, uh, yeah, I, this match has to be seen to be believed. Um, if you want to watch it, there's not really an easy way to watch it for free. You can find highlights online. PWG.com, they might have it on DVD still. The show is Steen Wolf. It's 10 years old. The High Spots Wrestling Network has PWG on it. You can find all their shows. Highly recommend, especially this time period. Uh, El Generico wins this ladder match. He, Like I said, he powerbombs Steam through two fucking ladders, climbs the ladder, and then pulls the belt and the roof literally off the building because the belt was like attached to a grate, like a vent in the ceiling, and they couldn't get the belt off, so he just pulls the whole fucking thing down. There's drywall. There's blood. There's sweat. There's tears. There's happiness in Reseda. Yeah, it was it was a it was a good match. I like how at the end Kevin Steen comes up comes up. He's like, "Wait, wait! Told you we would tear the roof off this place," and it was just like a perfect cap. End scene. It's good shit, man. So we uh, we went into this to get a little wrestling history in. I thought it would be cool to see a bunch of the uh, superstars of today and yesterday before they were those superstars. And I kind of walked away from it just really missing independent wrestling. Yeah, I miss I miss when independent I feel like independent wrestling though even before the pandemic. I feel like it's kind of going in a different direction and I'm not sure the pandemic helped. And it's I feel like it's never going to be the same. I don't GCW is still trying. They're still running shows. GCW is good shit. I implore anybody, if you're a fan of the WWE, if you're a fan of the AEW and you've never watched indie wrestling, I highly recommend it. Like it's a lot of people who may one day be big stars. Like, it's cool as shit because I've been watching this stuff for 10 years now. So seeing a bunch of people who I was watching perform in front of 50 people in a fucking Legion Hall go on to, like, main event WrestleMania and stuff is pretty badass. Yeah, like, even, like, go back and, like, watch the stars. Like, if you don't want to just watch someone who you have no idea who they are, just go watch some of, the, like, the stars of today back in their independent days because most of the guys who came up in the last, like, four or five years have been on the independents. Yeah, there's there's a there's a who's who. You can't go wrong. And uh, I highly suggest old ricochet matches. Fucking ricochet, God bless his soul. But uh, yeah, and then it's also a fucking treat to go back and watch like the old WCW or to watch old New Japan. Just fuck wrestling's great. Just go watch it. Watch old stuff. Educate yourself. You know what? You can be like me. You can have a vast, endless knowledge of something that will never actually help you, but it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, this is all this is all like education. Like I know a little bit about wrestling from him, but most of this like most of the stuff that we're talking about is new to me. Like very little like do I have experience with. So it's a learning experience for me too. That's right. I'm gonna teach you here today, girl. Can you please not ever do that voice again? 
Yeah, you go learn today. <laughs> so, um, what was your favorite match of the six? Uh, probably Mark Andrews and Chris Hero. Yeah, um, mine in order, from best to worst. And it's not even there's a bad match. There's not in this whole group. Uh, Steen Generico is number one. Andrews Hero is number two. Cactus and Funk is number three. Austin Steamboat's number four. David Okada, underwhelming, five. And then me and Mark versus Flying Brian was fine for what it was, but that was just like a seven-minute TV match, so you can't really give it the highest of praise. But I had a, I had a, I had a, a boatload of fun going back on these. Yeah, in comparison for what it was, I, I I said it earlier, I really liked to meet Mark Flying Brian match. Again, it might have been because of the alcohol in my system at the time, and I kind of sobered up before the other matches. <laughs> but I really enjoyed that one, and it was a good, like, setup. Like, I like how you structured it, like an actual, like, kind of, like, pay-per-view. If there's one thing I know, it is pro wrestling psychology. You start with a hot opener, you build all night, you finish with a hell of a main event. That's what you do. Yeah, I like how you had, like, the Cactus Jack before the main event, too. Because, like, it was, like, we needed something else. Like, because if I would have just left off on that, I would have been like, what the fuck? Dude, if we'd have watched that last, it would have changed our night completely. It's almost like watching two people get murdered in front of you. Yeah, it's almost like that night that we watched Fire Walk with me, and then I went to bed an hour later and thought Bob was going to pop up and possess me. How's Annie? How's Annie? I'm back. Oh, Mazzy Dotes and Dozy Dotes and Little Lamsy Divey. I kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? All right. Uh, we'll, we'll save the Twin Peaks talk for a different day or perhaps a different podcast. This has been our journey for the week. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, my name is Matt. You can find me on Twitter at Smorlax187. I am at Sammy Please, S-A-M-I-P-L-S. I made a Twitter for the podcast. You can find that at, at damn it, at Muzzy Wrestle Pod. We are also now on Facebook, uh, a very Muzzy Wrestling podcast. Look us up, follow us, share this shit, like it, subscribe, hit that bell icon. Thank you to everybody who has been listening so far. I know last week was very daunting. It was very long. Shout out to anybody who got through that. I don't know if anybody did, but if you did, you're a real one. I have a tentative plan for next week. Uh, I got to talk to Brandon, the dude who was on with us a couple weeks ago, but I do believe the plan is to review 20 years after the fact, WrestleMania 17. It's the road to WrestleMania currently, so why not go through what many consider to be the greatest pay-per-view of all time? And uh, if that falls through, then I'm sure we'll come up with another topic at Friday at 5 p.m. Hell yeah. All right, so that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Down!